This is Taiwan Talk. This is Taiwan Talk on ICRT. I'm Eric Smith, and this is Taiwan Talk. It may come as a surprise to you that Taiwan was home to over a dozen POW camps that held Allied soldiers captured by the Japanese Army on battlefields across Asia during World War II. For well over a decade, long-term Taiwan resident Michael Hurst has made it his mission to unearth and preserve the stories of the men who were held there. Mr. Hurst serves as the director of the Taiwan POW Camps Memorial Society, and he recently told me about the history of the camps and his group's mission. Let's start with just some basic history, because I think a lot of people may not even be aware of the fact that there were POW camps in Taiwan. That's right. In, in the years that I've been doing this, uh, this is the reaction I come across mostly with, uh, with, especially with Taiwanese people and also with expat foreigners living here and foreigners overseas who find our website and, and suddenly you know, realize that there was, there's a story to tell over here. There was actually a lot of camps here. There were. There were 14 actual Japanese prisoner of war camps, and then there were two temporary camps that were set up right at the end of the war, uh, when the war ended, when the, after the Japanese surrender, to house the prisoners in Taipei. Uh, while they waited for evacuation. So where were these Allied troops captured? They were captured, well, the British and Australians were captured mostly in Singapore and Malaya. Uh, the Dutch, of course, were captured in the Dutch East Indies, which is now Indonesia. Right. Uh, the Americans, of course, were captured in the Philippines at the fall of Bataan and also Corregidor. Why were they moved to Taiwan and not stuck in the Philippines or other places? Well, a lot of them were. Well, the Japanese uh, had, a, had a belief at first that uh, if you separate the senior officers from the other ranks, then the, the, the regular soldiers won't be able to function, which was quite the case in the Japanese army. But different in, culture. Different culture. And if the, but in the case of the Allied prisoners of war, if the major was shot, the lieutenant took over. If he was shot, the captain took over. And, and, and we had one prison camp here that there was a sergeant running the prison camp. And, and so uh, the Japanese had this idea to move the prisoners from their, the senior officers away. Well, of course, Taiwan was a Japanese colony. It was like a an island fortress, and it was very secure, and the Japanese were winning the war. So they decided to move all the, the senior Allied generals and also the governors of all the colonies they conquered, uh, Hong Kong, Guam, the Dutch East Indies, Singapore, Malaya, North Borneo. They all were brought here in August of 1942. And so for, for the, the Americans, for example, General Wainwright, General King, General Moore, General Parker, all the highest-ranking officers, um, brigadiers and colonels were all moved to the camp in Hualien, um, just at the end of August, and then a week or so later, all the highest-ranking British, Australian, and Dutch officers and the governors from Hong Kong, uh, Singapore and, and, and Malaya and all that were brought here, to, and they joined them in Hualien. And so they we were, had quite a few different nationalities. Well, we did, yeah. The, the, the British had the largest number of POWs here, um, um, 20, almost 2,600. The Americans had a little over 1,500. Uh, the Dutch had 156. The Australians had 55. There were three Canadians, three South Africans, two New Zealanders, um, a, a couple of uh, Norwegians that came in off some of the later hell ships and that, but that was, was basically British, American, Dutch, and Australian. The Japanese did not exactly follow the Geneva Convention during uh, World War II. No, they never signed it, uh, and so therefore they used that as an excuse that we didn't have to follow it. The Japanese had this uh, code of war called Bushido. And, of course, the emperor was God. There was no such thing in the Japanese army as surrender. You were a coward. You were just nothing if you surrendered. So if, if you were certainly to be defeated, then you would form up with your buddies and make a bonsai charge and be killed that way. Or if you were about to be captured, you would commit suicide. So it was, so it was shameful to be captured. So therefore, when and, and again, different culture, 
when the British and the Americans who believed in living to fight another day and to help their mates and stay alive to get home to their loved ones uh, with this different philosophy decided to surrender and the generals decided to surrender the men, let's put it that way, um, uh, to save their lives. The Japanese just couldn't understand this and they so they treated them just like dirt. They were, right, they were that's not sort of respected. The, the, the Japanese scorned them mm, for mm, that decision. That's right, that's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then... They treated them in, in some ways as kind of subhuman. Yes, they were. Yeah, they were just slaves. They were objects to be used. Um, there's right. a lot of beating in Taiwan. The, in in Chinguasha, for example, the, the conditions were so horrific. The men had such little food and were in such bad condition. But they had to do 12 hours work in the mine every day. And if they didn't fill enough cars with ore, they didn't drill enough holes, they didn't do what they required, they were lined up uh, in, the, in the tunnels after work, holding onto the air pipe, and they were beaten with a mining hammer um, uh, on their backs and, 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 and whatever, uh, slapped and punched. And then, of course, uh, you know, as I tell people, we don't have much meat on our back anyway, and to starving men have even less, and when you beat them with a hammer handle, um, uh, you know, you're going to be bleeding, you're going to be bruised, and then, of course, they had to walk considerable way to get back to the camp after and then work, work and, the next day and work the next day with little food and it was you know it's like chinguash it's always raining and cold a lot of their, they said their clothes never dried out they used to hang their clothes over the rafters and put on wet clothes the next morning so there were all kinds of sicknesses you know diphtheria pneumonia that the doctors had to treat down in um, pingdong and, and taijung and other places by how they were just simply beaten with bamboo poles or sticks if they didn't do enough required work every day so beatings were of course a very common thing in the Japanese military system and and uh, and uh, many of the men you know have showed me scars that they, they still have to this day thanks for tuning into Taiwan talk I'm Eric Smith more info on the Taiwan POW camps Memorial Society is available at www.powtaiwan.org this is Taiwan talk this is Taiwan talk on ICRT. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Talk. I'm Eric Smith, and today I'm continuing a discussion with Mr. Michael Hurst, a longtime Taiwan resident who serves as the director of the Taiwan POW Camps Memorial Society, a group dedicated to preserving the memories of the thousands of Allied soldiers who were detained in camps across Taiwan during World War II. I asked Mr. Hurst how he first got interested in the subject. When I was a young boy, I found out uh, somewhat accidentally that I had a number of uncles that were in World War I. And, and then World War, subsequently in World War II. And uh, I was so uh, touched and so um, overcome, so awed by the fact that these men would go over in the trenches of France and Belgium. And so all my life I've wanted to do something sort of tangible to say thank you to the veterans. And in 1996, of course, we heard about the, the prison camp in Chinguasha. And um, there was a Canadian doctor in the camp, Major Ben Wheeler, and he uh, was called the man sent from God. He was uh, just an amazing man. He, he concocted all kinds of, of uh, you know, homegrown medicines and things to help the men with dysentery and beriberi. And, and I, you know, being a Canadian myself, I thought, well, I'll look into this story. Well, then the uh, Canadian Trade Office director of the time, sort of, we got together and suggested that maybe, we, you know, the Canadian society or we should do something to, to have a little ceremony or service to remember these men who were in this terrible camp. And at that time, we just, one camp, one terrible thing, that was it. And uh, but it, as soon as I got into it, um, I thought, well, this is this is a chance for me to do what I wanted to do all my life. I wanted to, I could organize something, and I never ever dreamed it would ever get as big or as far-reaching as it is today. Because I've been at it now 16 years, and we've, as I say, we've contacted more than 500 prisoners, and 
there's almost not a day in the year goes by that I don't get an email from some family member or something uh, who's researching their family history and to find out you know more about the, the prisoner's life here, where they were. Because when the men went home from the war, they didn't talk about it. Right. it. It was too horrific. They didn't. The British government, the American government actually told them not to talk about it uh, for political reasons because the American uh, government had totally abandoned the men in Bataan and Krigador. The men in Singapore were all messed up by the British government. So the society's uh, you know, main aim was, of course, initially to tell their story, to make sure that their story was known and they weren't forgotten. Well, of course, going hand in hand with that would be Let's find out what the camps, you know, where, where are they now? What do they look like? Are they an apartment building or are they a farmer's field or what? Over the years, we have found all the locations of all the camps. We've documented their history and we've actually built 11 memorials now at various places around the island. The showpiece is out in Chinguasha at the former uh, Kinkaseki campsite where we have the original memorial, which we built in 1997 in the park. We then uh, have a pr- prisoner of war memorial tree there. We have we, we call the Eternal Flame of Peace and Remembrance, which is a bronze sculpture of a flame. And then in 2011, the county government further expanded the park, and we built the uh, wall with the names of all the Taiwan prisoners that we had at that point. Uh, 4,363 names are, are carved in that wall. It's the only park of its kind in the world dev- devoted to the Far East prisoners of war. And uh, it's the only memorial wall of, of its kind in, in, in Asia that I'm aware of. Now, the Taiwanese people, uh, by and large, the prisoners found that they weren't hostile to the prisoners. For example, when they brought the sh- men here on the, on the hell ship England, Maru, in, in uh, November 42, they took uh, 500 men to Taipei to the train station. They made them march from the Taipei train station up into Dazi. Of course, they turned out the school children. They turned out the, the people to watch these bedraggled, Parade parade shame. shameful prisoners yeah. that they had conquered. And they did this in various, you know, Kaohsiung. They did it in, in um, Jofen when they went through there on the way to Tsinghuasha. But the people, the prisoners say when they looked at the eyes and they looked at the people, although they were waving their little Japanese flags and the school children and some were pointing, obviously, they'd never seen a foreigner before. They never really saw hatred. They didn't throw rocks and tomatoes and that sort of thing. It was, they saw sympathy generally in the eyes of the people, you know, looking at these people. So I think that says a lot for Taiwanese people as well. Hmm. And and there were people in Taiwan, civilians and local farmers and stuff who would be out, you know, and the prisoners would be going by and they'd throw them a potato or they'd throw them some, you know, a banana or something and, and uh and, and so there, there, you know, there were definite acts of kindness that the Taiwanese, that the prisoners remembered from the Taiwanese people, and even some of the Taiwanese guards weren't so bad in in a sense, although they had to follow orders and they would get beaten if they didn't sure. do what they were told. But over the years, we have had a number of the former Taiwanese guards who we've discovered and talked to, a number of these former prison guards who've come up them and taken part in our activities, and and we've had some of the memorial openings, and they're there. Every time we take uh, a veteran or his family down to, say, Pingdong or, or Baihe or somewhere, we'll have guards coming out to join us. And, and uh, when we opened the memorial in Hualien in, in uh, last November, we had a former uh, camp guard from there uh, came out and joined the ceremony. He's 91 years old. And, uh, you know, they want to put it behind them as well. And, and part of a little small part of our work here has been a bit of reconciliation. Mm. So when a prisoner comes back here, and goes to Pingdong or Baihe or Dajia and you know, and the guards want to know when they're coming. Of course, they they always come out and meet them. And of course, they don't remember each other personally, but the guards will always say to the men when they come and their families as well, "We are sorry for what how you were treated when you were here," which is a pretty good apology, right? When that happens, of course, then the the prisoners will shake hands with them, and usually about twenty minutes later, they're all arm in arm having their pictures taken, walking around, and and, and so when these Taiwanese guards come out and when they have a, an interaction like this, 
the Taiwanese guards have peace and they're happy. So it's like, you know, if two people have an argument and, and, and one says, I'm sorry, and the other one says, I forgive you, well, then both can have peace. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Talk. I'm Eric Smith. For more info, visit www.powtaiwan.org.